you can write one song like I'm so lonesome I could cry, you know, you've made your mark on history and, and on everyone who's going to follow. So. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, but today we are getting off the Bruce Springsteen train, and we're getting on the Wabash Cannonball. Uh, we are, uh, my buddy Jeff is joining me, and we are going to talk country music. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you, Jesse. I'm glad to be here. And you know what? Um, I've been thinking about this way too much after you asked me to do this. And I think that uh, Bruce Springsteen is on that Wabash Cannonball. So, um, you know, I, I think from watching this and uh, us talking about it, I, I think he's he's uh, he's on that train a lot. Uh, and I think that we'll be able to weave him in. I don't think we're leaving him entirely throughout this. Uh, no, I don't think we are. Um, in fact... Um, we'll, well, first off, um, introduce yourself in case someone, Jeff has been on the show a couple of times, but just in case, uh, tell us a little about yourself, Jeff. Uh, well, my name is, uh, Jeff Calloway. Uh, I, uh, am a huge, uh, Dort Springsteen fan, uh, and, uh, I've seen him a lot. Um, and, um, I've been a fan since, um, I was probably 14, I guess, somewhere around there, 13 or 14. And um, I have a wonderful wife and a wonderful kid, but I always tell uh, people that uh, Bruce has been the one constant uh, in my life since I was 14. I think that's probably the best way to, to put it. Uh, and I grew up in the South. I grew up with country music, and um, um, this PBS special was just uh, excellent. It brought back a lot of great memories of uh, my grandmother and, and the people that I uh, knew as a little boy. I am right there with you. I, I I grew up loving because my parents listened to so much country music. Um, my wife Linda was was going to talk about that. She says there's going to be songs you know that I don't, and I said, well, yeah, probably. Um, so I, I went into this just uh, 
with very high expectations, and this this exceeded them. You know, me too. Me too. Same thing. I mean, when it's Ken Burns and and everything that he's done has been excellent, and uh, and knowing the people that were that he would be talking to, uh, I watched the little making of before it came on. I, I had really high expectations. And he exceeded mine as well. Uh, I just thought, I, I know this. I want to hang out with Roseanne Cash and Marty Stewart and just talk uh, country music uh, someday. That would be amazing. I saw Roseanne Cash. Actually, I, I saw uh, Springsteen uh, in Kansas City. And we were in the airport. And Roseanne was there with her husband and the band. And I was standing right behind her um, in Kansas City and just did not say anything to her. I didn't want to bother her. But then I tweeted her, and she was really, really nice after that. So I kind of wish that I just said hello. But you know, they're standing there. And you can. T- I think that they had played the night before, and I, I didn't want to bother them. But but uh, after watching that, and you know, one of the things that Roseanne said that I thought was really interesting because it, the way I felt was, uh, you know, she got away from country music uh, as she got older because um, it was her parents' music, right? And yeah, that's the way I felt growing up. You know, like that it was my grandparents' music. Um, and then really, uh, uh, discovering Bruce, uh, when I was 14 or whatever, it, it led me back to my grandmother's music, oddly enough. It, it led me back to Johnny Cash and Hank Williams, um, and then eventually Woody Guthrie and, and, uh, in even older music, uh, folk music. Um, so it is interesting, you know, it's, it's then you realize wow, my grandmother had really great taste in music, right? And uh, and you realize how that music, that storytelling that she loved and the simplicity of the music um, really shaped what I listened to. It shaped my brother. My brother's 10 years older than me, um, and he loved Credence Clearwater and, and rock bands uh, before Bruce. And I think that those two uh, were kind of the common threads for me. And that's that's kind of what shaped my uh, my musical taste. Uh, but it's interesting that you know you, you think Roseanne Cash having Johnny as her father uh, that it would be so ingrained in her. And of course, there's the wonderful story that she told where um, he started. They were on the bus. He started asking her if uh, you know if he knew this song or if she knew this song, if she knew that song, and she didn't. And then he made a list of of a hundred songs uh, that she had to know. Uh, uh, kind of her musical education, um, which eventually led to a, a great album where Bruce sang Sea of Heartbreak with her and you know yes. what a great uh, country voice he had. I, I think that that vocal on that song is about as good as anything he's ever recorded. So oh, they ev- even Bruce into this. Well, and I was going to bring up <laughs> that I think that what I would argue is one of Bruce's greatest songs and certainly – in my top five favorite songs, Land of Hope and Dreams, is is specifically directly influenced by the bluegrass version of This Train is Bound for Glory. Because right. Because uh, this train is for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory, this train. Don't ride nothing but the righteous and the holy. This train is bound for glory, this train. And then the... The lyrics are the chorus. This train don't carry no gamblers. This train, this no hypocrites, no midnight ramblers. You know this train doesn't carry no liars. Come on, fellas, let's do it for you. 
Rangers and the Midnight Ramblers. This train don't care no gamblers, this train. You know this train don't care no jokers, this train. Oh, this old train that don't care no jokers, this train. This old train that don't care no jokers, no high tone women, them cigar smokers, this train. I'm talking about God's train. Yeah, this train is bound glorious train. When you think of Land of Hope and Dreams, this train is for gamblers and for whores and for the brokenhearted. I, I think that's a direct uh, influence of him saying that, you know, in in his version of a train brown for glory or the land of hope and dreams, you know, all are invited. So I, uh, think, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I totally, I have a big goofy grin on my face right now as, as you were saying that I, I totally agree. That song, you know, uh, Woody Guthrie covered it. Um, Hank Thompson covered it a lot of, uh, and like you were saying, you know, a lot of bluegrass artists, but definitely uh, a lot of people that Bruce uh, would be into. And then to turn that into this, uh, that that song, the original song, is so uh, exclusive, right? Like it's it's pushing people out, uh, it's pushing people away off of the train, and uh, the fact that Bruce is welcoming everyone on that train. I mean, I think you can make an argument that that's a much more Christian message, right, than the song that was written as a kind of a gospel hymn of, of welcoming everyone. Um, and you know, on the early versions of that song, he did say um, whores and ramblers, uh, and you know, like he, he tightened it a little bit as he moved on. Uh, I, I agree that that is a beautiful song. It's definitely steeped in uh, country gospel folk tradition. Um, and, you know, he's so good at that, of just kind of taking these elements, whether it's, you know, Chuck Berry or, or Hank Williams, where he's, he's, you know, playing a Hank Williams song and that becomes the river. Uh, he's playing a Johnny Cash song that becomes I'm on fire. Um, I mean, that music is ingrained in him. He's a sponge, right? I mean, he's he's yeah. a, a, a musical nerd uh, like all of us. And, and I think that's the great thing about his music is whether it's um, he, he has all of this wealth of knowledge, encyclopedic knowledge of British rocker. And then as he got older, blues and, and R&B and soul. And then uh, as he got older to, to discover country music, and I think the biggest thing that country music did for him is make him a better editor of his work. The simple um, finding, you know, someone like Merle Haggard or Hank Williams or Johnny Cash, like saying so much with so little. And I think that he definitely learned that from those guys from to go from born to run uh, in those. And especially those earlier two albums where he's just, you know, I mean, literally looking at a word dictionary, right. For yeah. Uh, Blind by the light. And then to go from, those three albums into all of a sudden uh, darkness, which is influenced by punk and, uh, and country where it's tight and it's just the right words. And, and then even more so, I think uh, into the river and then uh, Nebraska. Um, it is interesting how he, he took songs and kind of used those to, to twist and turn into mold. And, and I, I definitely think you're right on land of hope and dreams. It is a, a beautiful song that, um, welcomes everyone you know no one is yeah. is kicked off the tra train except um he said dick cheney right that was the one yeah. person he said, uh, <laughs> yeah and um you know the um you know I, I you know i'm thinking about this 
bringing back my southern um, roots, you know, uh, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God, you know, uh, as one of the many verses I had to learn uh, back in Sunday school at both Mill Creek Baptist Church and uh, Rose Pine First Baptist Church as a kid. Um, and that is, you know, Bruce's way of we're all here and we've, you know, all of sin to come short of the glory of God um, is, you know, he's kind of saying, hey, we're all human and we're there. And it's just amazing. Um, and I wanted to kind of jump about what you talking about. Um, there were so many great uh, narrators. And um, mm-hmm. I had heard a lot of um, interviews with Ken Burns before it had come on. And one of the things he said he was so happy with is that in the past – the show, his documentaries were filmed with um, historians telling the story. And he said in this one, he had very few, only like two or three official historians, and everyone else were just musicians. And he didn't need historians because the the musicians knew the history so much. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that was... Go I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead. No, go, you go ahead. That's, yeah. I, I think uh, it's interesting, right? You know, I, I saw uh, in the making of that there was a, a, a younger... I don't remember what her position with the with the, uh, the group was, the filmmakers, but, you know, she was saying, you know, you have to get Rhiannon Giddens, you have to get Rhiannon Giddens, and they were... You know, they were almost finished, and then they're like, who's she? We don't know. And then to have this uh, young African-American lady uh, on there and talking about, you know, the, the first episode is called The Rub, and uh, it's basically just showing the beauty of of this music, right? That it's mm-hmm. not, I think so many times, the you know, we think of just, you know, these white guys with their hair slicked back and wearing nudie suits. And you see how raw this music is and how it came from uh, immigrants from all over, um, from Mexico, from um, from Ireland and from the slaves. And then they're, you know, they're working together They're um, And, you know, kids who are poor uh, getting to know one another and uh, people sneaking off to black churches and, you know, hearing this music and being out in the cotton fields and uh, learning the banjo and learning uh, the fiddle. And um, it's, it's the, the beginning of country music. I think, um, you know, it, it is America. It's American music. Uh, and having her on there, I think was so crucial. The, um, and then, you know, Marty Stewart, I mean, Marty Stewart is a, I don't know, like some type of vision quest type thing where he, <laughs> he had his first two albums were Flatt and Scruggs and Johnny Cash, and then he goes on to play for Lester Flatt and Johnny Cash. He says that he's going to marry Sammy Smith someday. One day he does. I mean, you know, like he, he kind of uh, made his own future uh, in a lot of ways. But just, I mean, he is—he's a walking history book. And uh, just hearing him talk, I mean, every time that he came on, I was like, oh man, what's he going to say next? And and to be so articulate. Um, and Roseanne too, you know, I mean, it's, yes, uh, her father is, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of country music, but, um, you could tell that her knowledge 
so extends past his and, and Rodney Crowell as well. Um, and there's, there, there is a moment uh, later in the series where Emmylou Harris is talking and uh, it just gave me goosebumps. I'm a huge, huge uh, Graham Parsons fan and, um, and just, you know, seeing him get his chance and I'm talking about uh, the birds and sweetheart of the rodeo and uh, that uh, country rock uh, scene in the late sixties and early seventies is some of my favorite music of all time. And, um, you know, just the scope of, of the, of how far they took it, you know, from that first episode with the rub where it's the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers and, and then to go into, you know, Austin and, and Willie and Waylon and the outlaws. And then, yeah, you know, you can just see the passion of everyone who spoke. Yeah. And, like I'm right there with you. I want to go to a restaurant, um, have coffee with um, Rihanna Givens, Roseanne Cash, Marty Stewart, and you know who else I loved was um, Hazel Smith, who mm-hmm. was I knew one you of you know, huh? You know? <laughs> yeah, I knew that's what you were going to say. You know, just um, and I guess Marty and Roseanne would be. Um, and I guess, though, all of them, but you just, yes, it would be great to sit down with Charlie Pride and Willie Nelson and John McEwen. I'm a huge Nitty Gritty Dirt Band fan. Um, but then when you have Wynton Marcellus mm-hmm. talking about, it's the stories, man, and, and talking about that love and, and how it's connected, um, it, it was just, yeah, they had literally an all-star cast of people telling stories that were amazing. And how lucky that they got Merle Haggard before he passed to share his story. I mean, that was just uh, amazing. Totally agree. And just r- real quick, I am a huge uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band fan as well. And the fact that... Um, Will the circle being broken is on the charts again. Uh, you know, so you talk about the rub. So many of these artists uh, yeah. appeared on Amazon and iTunes now. And um, you know, for anybody that's listening to this, you have to get Will the Circle Being Broken. Um, that is a walking testament. If you enjoyed uh, this series, that's about as good as it gets as far as letting you hear uh, some of these artists. I mean, Roy Acuff's version of Wreck on the Highway. Um, which, you know, we all know where that led uh, for Bruce. But uh, it's a beautiful, heart-wrenching version, and it's very clean. You know, a lot of those recordings uh, from the 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, it's very scratchy. And and so uh, to hear Roy Eka sing that song uh, is just, it's beautiful. And uh, and Mother Maybell is on that album as well. Yeah. Um, and I can't. Yeah, and I've, I've bought every version because they've gone back and done Will the Circle Be Unbroken, Volume 2, Volume 3, Volume 4. Um, there is a great John Hyatt, Roseanne Cash duet uh, on one mm-hmm. of the versions that I just loved. When I look into your eyes, I see the world cut down to size. Baby, don't apologize. For taking me one step over the line When 
can't touch your secret skin Babe, I know it ain't no sin I feel you're starting to give in So let's go one step over the line I was so happy they one of the episodes highlighted that because you know and they made it very clear you know hearing the um the great Peter Coyote go they they were not interested in being front of the mic they were there to back up these classic artists that was what they wanted to do and it's such a great story so yeah um, all right, so let's go back to the beginning. Um, I had a pretty good knowledge of country music, and I certainly knew um, a little bit about Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family, but I did not understand how they were the root of the country music tree. How about you? Um, yes, I did. I, uh, at Bristol, uh, so there's a, a great album or book, uh, called, are you ready for the country? I want to give it its plug. Uh, it's written by Peter Doggett. Um, uh, a few years ago, like I was saying with, uh, with Graham Parsons and, um, there's, uh, Graham Parsons and, and Michael Nesmith from the monkeys, um, uh, Rick Nelson, the Grateful Dead. There was a great, during that period of time where, where, you know, like the dead, they were covering Merle Haggard and um, there was a lot of great uh, crossover, the hippies and uh, were really into this kind of music. So I really, really got into that and just started just digging into it uh, as nerdy as possible. And uh, in doing so, uh, I started just kept going back and back and back. Um, and then that's really where I found, uh, Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family. And also, I don't know if you're familiar with this and they didn't mention it, but there's a, it's a box set from the Smithsonian called the anthology of American folk music. Uh, Harry Smith was the person who gathered this music. Uh, it's really great. It's music from the mid twenties to the mid thirties. Uh, Jimmy Rogers isn't on there, but there's a lot of uh, great music from that time period. And the Carter family's on there. So, um, I'm really showing my uh, nerdiness here, aren't I? No, but, no, no. Uh, <laughs> well, because but, I knew the Carter family, um, just I, I was familiar with it. And then if you watch any Johnny Cash special, which I was expected to, I say this only slightly tongue-in-cheek, if we didn't watch Johnny Cash's special, you know, uh, 
variety show on Saturday night, we would go to bed without dinner. Um, you know, and by watching the um, Johnny Cash biopic, uh, Walk the Line, you know, um, Mother Maybell is a big, uh, you know, player. And the, mm-hmm. the Carter family were played. Then it's certainly, you know, June and her sisters. But I was not aware of Sarah and her strong voice and, and Mother Maybell's, you know, strumming and her setting, you know, kind of a, a different way to make play a guitar. Um, and so one of the things that Linda brought up, and Linda's my wife, um, as regular listeners know, but we were watching this together and um, we had paused for a moment to get something to drink or go for a bio break. And she said, you know, I don't want to say this out loud, but I'm not impressed with Jimmy Rogers or the Carter uh, family songs. I, I don't get it. And I said, well, I'll, I'll use this as an example. Before I started doing a Doctor Who podcast, every once in a while I'd try to watch a classic Doctor Who, and I wouldn't get it. It just seemed cheesy. The, the storyline didn't seem good, the special effects. I said, but then when we were going to cover it for the podcast, I had to pay attention. And And then as I started gaining an ear or an eye for that kind of storytelling, I began to enjoy it more. And she goes, oh, that's interesting. So as we continued to listen, she went, oh, well, that one I like. Oh, that one I like. And she goes, maybe you're right. Maybe it's such a different kind of sound, my ear has to adjust to it. Um, So I thought that was an interesting observation on her point of that, you know, when you first hear just, you know, um, the Carter family or, you know, Jimmy Rogers, you're like, what, what is this? And you kind of have to get used to it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think a lot of it is just the recordings um, are hard to listen to. I think, you know, just from the first time that you're hearing it. Um, But, you know, I I knew a lot of the, plus, you know, I'm a huge Merle Haggard fan. uh, And like you were saying, Johnny Cash. So uh, I was familiar um, with a lot of the Jimmy Rogers songs. Um, so I think, you know, when I first heard it, I was, I was probably in college. And so, yeah, it, it was the same thing for me. I mean, it took me a while to kind of get through all of the warbling and, and the different sound, the yodels and things like that. But, um, but now I love it. You know I mean? Now it's, it's just, uh, you realize how important this music is. You realize that they were the first to break out acts. Uh, and and just the the quality of the in Jimmy Rogers' case the songwriting and and uh, in the Carter family and, and finding those songs and, and recording them, um, you know I, I have great appreciation for uh, certainly for for their uh, who they were as artists, but but yeah I've, I've kind of gotten to where I can handle the actual recording yeah, <laughs> now well, too. And you know one of the things that. I was also impressed, Jeff, is as we're watching this, I I paused this kind of on the second one, and I said, bear with me just for a minute, Linda. I said, um, 
Jr., who good friend of mine, um, always talks about that you you have to go to every Marvel Universe film. You can't skip one because and he always takes his fingers and meshes them. You know, like they they all fit together. It's it's all mm-hmm. it's all built on each other. And if you miss anything, you're not going to get it. And every time they would bring up the Mule Skinner or you know someone being they grew up listening to the Carter family or they listen to Jimmy Rogers, and then you say, I grew up listening to Hank Williams. She and I would make those fingers together like this truly is a branch of it. It all flows together. There is A leads to B, which leads to C, which leads to D. And that was one of the most satisfying parts of the documentary to me to show you kind of kind of get that and you kind of go yeah like Elvis and the Beatles influenced people but in this it truly is if you like structure if you do a family tree like it all goes back to these two artists yeah I mean they laid the foundation that's that's a really interesting point you know my wife and I uh Nancy and I were talking about this uh the other day too we were out walking and, and talking about it and we were talking about how, and that's a great way to put it, uh, because we were saying how it would be really, really difficult to do something like this with uh, rock music, because, like you're saying, there's so many, you know, I mean, people can't even decide what the first rock song is. I thought Hank, Hank Williams uh, Jr.'s uh, bid for his dad creating the first rock song, I thought was really interesting. I thought that, um, I mean, he can make that discussion. I mean, I think it's sure. in the argument. For sure. But, you know, and then, I mean, you have uh, Rocket 88, you have Chuck Berry, you have Fat yeah. Domino. I mean, you know, there's there's all of this out there. Uh, where does blues stop? And then, it, you know, where does uh, rock begin? Um, you know, and then the importance of Sun Records and on and on and on. But you are exactly right. With country, I think that there is a bind. You have uh, Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family laying the foundation, and everybody else is building their house on top of that. And Yes. Um, I think that's a really great way to put it, and it, and it truly shows the importance of of these two acts. And and you know, I mean, with the Carter family, the fact that it extended direct—I mean, that they were still playing with uh, Johnny, and that they and that they're on that Nitty Gritty Dirt Band album. Um, it, it shows to someone like you know a band, you know, these long hairs <laughs> mm-hmm. at the time, and their respect for those people too, and. Uh, and the fact that uh, Merle Haggard, you know, wanted to introduce people to Bob Wills, and he wanted to introduce people to Jimmy Rogers, and so did Johnny, uh, just shows the respect that they had for for those the forefathers. Yeah, because you know, you start talking about that, and as you're listening to this, you know, um, Bob Wills and Western Swing, but there is a direct connection back to. Um, someone that leads to Jimmy Rogers, you know, and and the Carter family, and and then uh, you know, the Buck Owens and the Bakers feel sound, and then even the Nashville sound, and um, you, and I really, 
like I love Ken Burns' baseball documentary, and up until this one, that would have been my favorite documentary. Every five or six years, I pull it out and I rewatch it just out of joy to hear the stories and everything. Um, I like Civil War. I like Vietnam. I like jazz. But part of them almost felt like homework, a history lesson. <laughs> this this was just a joy. And in fact, we went through the first four episodes that had shown on our local PBS um, station. And Linda's like, man, that's it? We got to wait till next week? And I said, well, I, I thought I saw it was on demand on Amazon. So I went there and they said that you have to have like PBS pass key to see it. So I do a Google search and you have to give $60 a year or $5 a month to your local PBS station. So like Linda's get the card out. So we're going and we're donating for $5 <laughs> a month sign up. And we ripped through the other four that Saturday. We didn't want to wait because it was so fascinating. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it was fascinating. You know, my wife, uh, she did not grow up with country music. I mean, she's, you know, her parents. Uh, well, her mom was from Texas, but her her dad's not, and um, and so country music was n not something that she knew uh, at all until we got together. And uh, other than you know what she learned from Jerry Garcia and the Dead. Um, mm -hmm. and so as we were watching it, she was like, I can't believe how much of this I've learned through osmosis. And I would watch her sometimes, like she would come and just sit down on the couch and just start watching it, uh, because she was so interested in it. I mean, I, I, you know, I heard people saying, even if you're not interested in country music, you should watch this. That's hard for me to, I don't, I don't know if that would be the case because I, I loved it so much loving, uh, this type of country music, but. But, you know, she would come and sit down and be like, oh, yeah, I know that person now. And, uh, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. You know, uh, it was just great stories, which, you know, that's what the best of country music is as well, is great stories. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit about the rub. And then mm -hmm. the second episode, Hard Times, where it talks about singing cowboys and Texas Swing and I'm fascinated that with WSM, um, this was just to sell insurance. All I know. of this, I did not know that. I didn't know that either. And, um, you know, basically, um, you know, the radio station was trying to figure out how it can promote because they're owned by a life insurance company. And it was one of those that I remember growing up hearing about is you would pay something very little per month and the guy would come to your door and collect the little five dollars you know for this thousand dollar you know life insurance policy and they talked about they would go you know on saturday night they would walk through because back then, before air conditioning, people would have their windows open, and you would take notice of who's listening to the Grand Ole Opry on the radio. And then on Monday, that's the houses they would call on. And I'm like, what a great thought. And, right. I, and I'd always heard the story about the radio station playing the, you know, the Metropolitan Opera and then them saying, now it's time for the Grand Ole Opry. 
but to get that in full was a pretty interesting story. Yeah, I get. I, you know, you knew more about that than I did. Like going, in, I didn't know that uh, any of that story. I just, uh, I thought it was, you know, it all goes back to money, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but then uh, in the midst of that, there's like all of these really pure, uh, great artists that being introduced, and uh, yeah, I love that episode. I, I, getting to Bob Wills and and Roy Acuff, and then. Um, and Woody Guthrie, you know, like I, I thought it was interesting with uh, Marty Stewart again, kind of, you know, Woody Guthrie was a country artist, but his politics uh, folk took him. Um, I, that's the way I always thought of, of Woody as well. That's more of a, a country artist, but um, yeah, you know, and it's interesting because I think that that episode shows um, like we were just talking about with Jimmy Rogers and, and the Carter family kind of, you know, laying the foundation and the roots, but, but now you're starting to see it branch out and people, um, the Texas swing being influenced by jazz and, and, you know, just, you can start to see that this, this music is taking on a lot of its own and, and, yeah. uh, and growing. And to hear Marcellus talk about that, um, the way Western swing was almost like a modern jazz band about the different <laughs> solos and people taking turns. Um, I had never connected the dots, but once he said that, I went, Oh yeah, that's, that's crazy. How much that's that, like. I remember the first time hearing, uh, San Antonio Rose and being like, is, are they going to sing? Are, are yeah, there uh-huh. vocals? You know that's the way that jazz music was was then, right? That they would play the mm-hmm. solos up front, yeah. and then the the lyrics would come in later. And uh, so, yeah, it, it just shows what a, a great uh, and that and Tommy Duncan. I mean, that band was uh, was remarkable. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, it was, you know, and as Texans, right? It's, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's the first kind of proud thing to the series. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's carving out our niche. I did not know the story. Bill Monroe, you know, Lester Flatt, and Earl Scruggs. 
I, I did not know about the breakup, them going together, and um, the story of how they came up with the term bluegrass. Had you heard that story when your research? <laughs> um, well, I knew quite a bit. I'm uh, a big uh, Flatt and Scruggs fan. I, uh, I love Pearl Scruggs. I love the Stanley Brothers. Um, I love the Dillards, the band that was, uh, they play the Darling on the Andy Griffith show, but they're actually called the Dillards, and they are amazing. Um, but And I've, I own uh, some Bill Monroe albums, but um, but I, I, I always loved Flatt and Scruggs more just because I always thought they were uh, they, they were like the you know the speed metal of country music, just uh, how rapidly they played and and how great they were. Um, it is pretty amazing though to have Bill Monroe and and to basically coin your own genre mm-hmm. and, and to create it uh, yourself. Uh, I uh, there's no denying how great he is. I just I always loved uh, and and you know Earl Scruggs uh, later albums are really, really good, too, where um, the birds are on there and uh, Linda Ronstadt, just some really, really great... I know I'm jumping ahead, I guess. No, no, I don't no, know yeah, no. Before, but, but, uh, but those... Uh, you know, I, I love the way that Earl Scruggs uh, really pushed um, not only bluegrass, but, but folk music and country music and, and um, kind of blurring the lines between uh, just all kind of American music... Um, He's one of my favorites. So I, I knew a lot of what they were talking about there, uh, but it came much more from the uh, Flatt and Scruggs side of things than the uh, Bill Monroe kind of thing. It, I, I do know this. I would not want to get on uh, Bill Monroe's uh, bad side because he seemed to carry a grudge for a yeah, very and, long time. And the story, and I don't know if this is true or not, but and sometimes as they quoted one of my favorite John Ford movies on uh, the man who shot liberty valance in a later episode that um when the legend you know when the legend becomes more proper than the truth you print the legend so this may be the legend but supposedly bill monroe could not stand um hearing their names and then um and the same thing with um lester you know this Flatten Scruggs, and so you when you go to Flatten Scruggs, you wouldn't say, "Oh, can you play one of the songs you used to do with Bill and Roe? They'd say, "Can you play one of those old bluegrass songs?" Because they were the band was called the Bluegrass, and that's where they picked up the term, and that's kind of the same story of why it's the Eastery Band, right? That supposedly <laughs> Bruce was sitting on the car waiting for. Uh, you know, David didn't like, you know what, if we ever get a band, we're going to call this the E Street Band because we spent all our time sitting here on E Street waiting for them. So whether it's true oh, it's or not, really that's what we're going to stick to. I like that. It reminds me of the uh, Pete Townsend story where everybody was like trying to figure out what Magic Bus was about. And he said, it was about a Magic Bus. I thought it would be cool to have a Magic Bus. You know, yeah. we all tried to figure out like what these things, these deep meanings. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there it is. But yeah, I love that. I love the E Street Band. <laughs> And yeah. a bluegrass uh, connection. That's that's yeah. great. And um, so I I was talking to my buddy Sam, and we were playing poker Friday night, and he kind of 
he didn't think this was an amazing point, and so, and you may agree with me, and maybe it's because it's so much older, but when you think about, when I think about Hank Williams writing, I saw the light, mm-hmm. or I'm so lonesome I could cry, mm-hmm. there are people that would be happy with a career of just writing one or other of those songs. And to think he wrote both and then, you know, wrote Hey Good Looking, you know, Cole Cohart, and, you know, I'm So Lonesome I Could Die, Your Cheating Heart, all these things. Um, it's just amazing. And Sam was like, well, you could say the thing about Bruce. Like, if you could write one song, Thunder Road, they would be happier for that. But he did, you know, Born to Run and The River and da 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 da. But, it feels different to me, maybe because the amount of people that have done your cheating heart or, you know, hey, good looking for that long. I, I, or maybe that I found the light has become, I saw the light has become a, a gospel standard. I just feel it a little different. Um, are you more on Sam's side or my side? Because there is no right answer. There is a right answer, and you're correct. I, uh, I, I think Hank Williams um, is the most important artist in the history of country music. I think that he is the most important country artist in the development of, of rock music. And I think that it feels different because Bruce wore his influences on his sleeve. Bruce was a, a sponge. I don't think Bruce set out to... Um, to create, Bruce wasn't a, a, a pioneer so much, you know, I mean, Bruce carried on traditions, um, but Hank, he started those traditions, and he started, uh, he, he brought a maturity to songwriting uh, that wasn't there before. Um, I'm so long I could cry is as beautiful a song as ever been written, and... Sounds too blue to fly. The midnight train is whining low. I'm so lonesome I could cry. I've never seen a night so long when time goes crawling by. The moon just went behind the clouds to hide its face and cry. And, you know, to do all these things before he was 29, too. I mean, let's not forget about that. Yeah, um, that's the other thing. Just, and, uh, yeah, go, keep going, uh, Jeff. Well, just uh, and just uh, you know, su- such a, a tragic life. But um, I mean, love sick blues. Why don't you love me? Cold, cold heart. Hey, good looking. I'll never get out of this world alive. Um, and then you know, I mean, uh, um, I mean, he's he's the best. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's 
He is uh, everyone that came after him. There are artists that I love uh, probably more, but but they're all riding on his coattails, right? I mean, um, and Lost Highway. He didn't write Lost Highway, but my God, I mean, that is uh, just a, a heartbreaking song. And maybe he didn't write it, but he certainly lived it. And um, I, I I do think that you're right. I do think it's different because no one had written anything like that before. And it was, you know, I mean, the fact that someone like Tony Bennett was covering his songs and that he brought a sophistication to country music uh, and that crossed over into pop music, people recognized, you know, the Hillbilly Shakespeare thing. Uh, I mean, he was called that for a reason because he was a poet. And, I, and, and one other thing just real quick was, was Hank Williams, well, a lot of things on Hank Williams that we could talk about, but again, the, the influence of African-American artists on so many of these people that, that were behind the scenes, you know, that, that, uh, fortunately we've learned about through history, but, uh, once again, you know, there was Hank Williams with a, with an African-American person kind of, you know, teaching him and, and letting him, you know, learn, uh, as a young man from, from this man, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a beautiful thing. Uh, and I do think that you're right. I just think, that he is as good as there's ever been, and there is nobody uh, that, that's been able to, to quite uh, reach that level of, uh, of just, just bearing your soul. I mean, I think that Chris Christopherson is certainly um, there as far as, you know, just this masterful kind of bringing a, a level of maturity to the music, and I think that Merle Haggard writing uh, the, the things that he wrote, too, but it truly did start with, with Hank Williams. And um, I do think it is different. And I think that he's, um, he's special, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, I totally agree. And that's what my point was. I mean, I'm not saying that it's Bob Dylan's not an amazing songwriter. I, I'm not saying that Johnny Cash is an amazing songwriter or anyone else, but to do it before you're 29, to do this kind of universal and and you know you and I are both huge Springsteen fans you know I mean their Atlantic City Dancing in the Dark has been covered tons I mean there is there are whole albums of people covering Bruce's music but it just the idea of that core group and um and I don't think there's a bar anywhere in the world that if you pick up a guitar and start playing a Hank Williams song, you won't get a positive reaction. Um, if they're selling beer, I, you know, I think if you do I'm So Lonesome I Could Die, they're going to – someone's going to do that, appreciate that. Um, the other point I was going to make that I love about this show is – the different artists taking lyrics and breaking them down. And, mm -hmm. you know, from Charlie Pride to Marty Stewart to, and, and they're, they're talking about other people's songs and they go, you know, Garth Brooks are going, can you imagine, think about that words, you know, and, and just saying, you know, 
hear that lonesome whippoorwill, he sounds too blue to fly. You know, the image of that, they're so sad they can't even fly. The midnight train is whining low. I'm so lonesome I could cry. You know, that breaks your heart. Um, and there's all kinds of examples of the different um, artists sharing so much love for other people's music. Uh, yeah, when Charlie Pride uh, breaks down, Loving Her was easier than anything I'll ever do. The Chris Christopherson song, is, uh, that's one of my favorite moments as well. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, these guys were fans, and I think you have to be a fan and appreciate other artists for you to move forward as an artist, I would think. Um, you know, I mean, we talk about, we were talking about Hank Williams. He, I mean, that, that Hank Williams, if you want to know how great Hank Williams is, and if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan, Hank Williams led to the river. There wouldn't have been a river without Hank Williams. And uh, during that time, you know, Bruce uh, was listening to him a ton, and he was sitting there playing the guitar. Bruce says that he was playing My Bucket's Got a Hole in It, but he was more likely playing uh, Long Gone, Lonesome Blues because he's talking about uh, jumping the river and the river was dry. That's Long Gone, Lonesome Blues. Yeah. But, uh, but from that, it became the river. So, um, you know, I, I think that just these guys uh, breaking down these lyrics, part of their job too, you know, right? Like, I mean, I would think that it's the only way that you're going to be great is to study the great. And I think, you know, someone like Hank Williams or Merle Haggard or Chris Christopherson or Johnny Cash, I mean, those are the guys that, um, you know, like you were saying, I mean, if you can write one song like I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry, uh, you, you know, you've made your mark on history and on, on everyone who's going to follow. So um, I, I love those moments, too. They were uh, just to see them what fans they were that, you know, that they were taken back to the moment when they heard those songs. Uh, yeah. Those are some of my favorite moments in the entire, uh, series. Jeff and I were having so much fun. This episode ended up being almost two hours. So I'm going to break this up in half. Um, this, you've just heard the first part, come back tomorrow for the second half where we finish talking about Ken Burns PBS special. We talk about Ray Charles and Garth Brooks and the people that we wish could have had a little more um, time on the special. So see you tomorrow. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. Fantasy Points.